Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Second Timothy chapter 3. This is Paul's second letter to Timothy. And as you know, Timothy was younger, a younger man than Paul. In fact, Paul met Timothy in Lystra on his second missionary trip. And uh, Timothy had become a follower of Christ, and uh, uh, he had a good reputation there. And so uh, Paul invited Timothy to accompany him on his missionary journey. And so at that, from that point on, Timothy was with Paul. And at the time of this letter now, uh, Paul is a much older man now. Uh, this is his second time in prison. Uh, he's in Rome in prison for the second time. And uh, he had left Timothy in Ephesus to pastor the church there. And, uh, and so, you know, he's, he's writing this letter of instruction to Timothy. Timothy's been on his heart. Um, according to church history, Paul was beheaded shortly after writing this epistle uh, to Timothy. And it's really evident in his writings that, that Timothy, or excuse me, that Paul really could sense that... Uh, you know, his, his time for meeting the Lord was approaching. And so as you read this letter, you know, there's a, you can really just sense Paul's heart, uh, just wanting to pour out as much as he can in this last epistle. I don't know if he thought it was his last epistle, but in this last epistle to younger Timothy. And uh, so he's encouraging and instructing, instructing Timothy in the ministry. And here in chapter 3, he's warning him about the last days. And Paul, you know, uh, that was 2,000 plus years ago that Paul uh, penned this epistle. And uh, here he was worrying about the last days or, or concerned or warning Timothy about the last days. And, you know, some people are skeptical and they go, well, you know, there's people in every generation who think that the days that they're living on are the last days. And, uh, you know, I find it interesting that the apostles, they live their lives in expectation of Christ's return. And it impacted how they lived their lives. It, it impacted everything about them. And I think it's good for you and I to live our lives today in light of eternity because it affects the choices that we make. It affects our priorities. If we know that the Lord's coming back soon, it just changes everything. And so, um, so his warning here is to Timothy about what the last days are going to be like. Now, you may or may not believe that we're getting close to the last days, if not in the last days. Um, but we have this instruction to Timothy what to look for in the last days. And so you can be the judge yourself of, of as we go through this, and you can just kind of, as we're reading this, kind of examine in your own heart, are we living in the last days? And so um, beginning with chapter 3, verse 1, Paul writes this, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. So first of all, uh, he tells us the times are going to be perilous. And that word perilous means grievous, hard to bear, distressing. It's going to be difficult days. Um, we, when we, we, Teresa and I were gone the last two weeks, and we went out to California to a family reunion. And then uh, from there we went up, actually we went to Seattle, then we went to California, drove back to Seattle, and then drove back to Minnesota. Um, but when we were in, in the Redwoods in Cal up northern California, um, right across the street from the place where we were staying, they had this, uh, this ride, this train ride. And uh, it's at the base of this hill. You get in this train. It was kind of a miniature train. And they go forward, and then they switch tracks, and they go back, and you go uphill. And, they go, and it's basically a switchback, and you're going up, up in this hill. And uh, 
got up to the top of this hill, and, and uh, up there was kind of cool. They had a lot of logging in that area with all the redwoods. And so they had uh, logger, logging equipment that had been brought up there by mules and stuff. And then they had, like, just different you know, inventions basically from the logging, from very basic primitive logging to more modern. And it was all up there on top of this hill, and they had chainsaws from all, you know, starting with hand saws all the way up to chainsaws. It was just, it was kind of interesting. And the conductor, his name was Casey. It wasn't Casey Jones, but um, he was talking about change. And so he was showing us the change in the logging equipment. And uh, he said, you know, some of it's good. But, you know, a lot of change isn't good, but it's change nonetheless. And I thought, well, that's really true. You know, uh, this world is changing rapidly and uh, not necessarily for the good. And uh, so as Paul's describing these changes, he says that it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to bear. It's going to be grievous to our hearts. It's interesting that that same Greek word perilous is used to describe the actions of the demonic man that met Jesus when uh, he had crossed the Sea of Galilee there at Gennesaret, uh, the Gadarenes, and there was that demon-possessed man there and met Jesus there, and uh, his actions were described as perilous. So there was a demonic aspect to his, to his actions, of course. And, and so as we look at the world in the last days, there's going to be this demonic uh, influence. It's going to be so difficult and hard to bear. So beginning with verse 2, now he describes what these days are going to be like. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. So he says, first of all, the people will be lovers of themselves. And that word, there's basically two words. It's, it's phylos, or where we get the word Philadelphia. Um, it's, it's just a kind of a loving and a friendly uh, form of love uh, and, and auto. So it's, it's, it's being friendly with yourself. <laughs> it's loving yourself. And uh, so people are going to be in love with themselves. And they'll be self-centered. You know, They'll be selfish at the expense of others. He says they'll be lovers of money. That's another phylos word. They'll be uh, philo arguros, which means silver. So the people are going to love money. They're going to love silver. They're going to love material, you know, monetary goods. They're going to be boasters. And that word means basically wandering about. And the idea is kind of like uh, walking with a swagger. I don't know if you ever, have you ever seen people, they got kind of that, I can't do it because my back's all messed up. But, you know, they got that kind of that, that, that funky walk, you know, and they, it's like they're cool, you know. That's, that's what that word really means. They're, they're like strutting around. Uh, they're going to be proud. And uh, we all know what pride is. But, you know, this pride in the Bible, it's often associated with a rejection of God. And so it's not just pride for the sake of being prideful, but people are going to be prideful in their rejection of God and anything uh, having to do with Christianity, anything having to do with the Bible. They'll be blasphemers. Now, 
that can be taken both ways. First of all, with respect to other people, blasphemers, they're basically slandering other people or, you know, destroying their reputations. But with respect to God, it's, it's insulting and mocking God and anything that, again, anything that has to do with Christianity. So, you know, we'll be seeing an increase of that in these last days. Are we seeing that now? Well, again, you be the judge. They'll be disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. The word holy, of course, is to be sanctified, set apart, not polluted. And so people are going to be just the opposite of that. They're going to be not set apart, and they are going to be polluted with wickedness. There's going to be that mixture They're going to be unloving. And it's interesting, it's not unloving in a general sense, like people are just going to be hateful. Um, But that word, uh, actually the King James says, without natural affection, and the Greek word is a storgos. Storgos, or storge, is another form of love that the Greeks described, and it's a love of a parent or a child, or a parent to a child, or, or a brother to a sister. It's familial love. And so... What Paul is saying is in the last days, there's going, to be, it's, there's going to be a lack of familial love. Family is going to be torn apart. You know, you wonder why there's such an attack on marriage in our culture. Why, there, why there's this like, you know, pretty soon, you know, now it's, you know, of course, it's homosexual marriage is the thing now. But, you know, as soon as they started passing those laws... You get people in Utah, the Mormons. Well, why can't we have more than one wife? I mean, what's what's the difference, you know? And pretty soon, and I read, and I don't know whatever happened about it, but I read about someone that wanted to marry their dog. I mean, seriously, it's it's getting to the point where marriage is going to be destroyed. Why? Because the family will be destroyed. And so you can see this. Familial love will be gone because there won't be a family. The family unit, the, the basic family unit, the marriage, is just, it's just crumbling before our eyes. People will be unforgiving. Again, the King James Version calls them truce breakers. People will be constantly in a state of war with others, unwilling to reconcile, unwilling to come to terms with others. They'll be slanderers, you know, falsely accusing uh, people, dividing, causing division for, just for no reason at all without self-control. And uh, basically what that's talking about is uh, people being unable to govern their own appetites. You know, the opposite of that is someone who, they have, you know, freedoms, but they put limitations on their freedoms. And, and, and they, so they, they control themselves. Well, at this point, people are just, there's just no control. I just do whatever my passions tell me to do. I just, whatever. Um, they'll be brutal despisers of good. And basically, they're going to be unfriendly to the point of being hostile towards good people. Are we seeing that in our culture today? They'll be traitors, betrayers, unfaithful, basically, is what that's talking about. They'll be headstrong. That word means to fall forward. And the idea is you're just stubbornly, you know, recklessly going in one direction without being willing to change directions. It's just, I'm doing my will, whatever I want to do. And, and so that's people headstrong in the pursuit of sin, being influenced by their passions with no self-control. Haughty, again, swollen with pride. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So we got all these words as phylos, lovers. So you have lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. See, people are going to be loving, 
but they're going to be loving everything but God. They're going to be loving their wealth. They're going to be loving themselves. They're going to be loving pleasure. Everything except God. An interesting thing is there's still going to be religious people even in the last days. Remember the letter, uh, Jesus' letter to the church in Laodicea. I mean, there's going to be people that are still, they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. In other words, they have that outward semblance of having some kind of a, some kind of a faith in God, but there's no reality in their lives. There's no, there's just, it's, just, it's just on the outside. They're going to honor God with their lips, but their hearts are going to be far from Him. And so Paul says in verse 6, For of this sort are those who creep into households, and make, captive, uh, make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So the, this list of how people are going to be in these last days described in verses 2 through 5, people are not going to be just content to be in their own wickedness. They're not going to be content unless they can draw someone in. To, their, to whatever it is that they're, they're, uh, they're, they themselves are caught up in. They'll only be content when they've taken others captive by their wickedness. And in the last days, Paul says the household is not going to be a safe haven anymore. You know, it's an interesting thing. You know, we can look at all the evils outside and in our society and out in the world and maybe in our town or whatever. But it's another thing when it's in our own households. And, and that's what it's going to be like in the last days. Not even the home is going to be safe anymore. How are households going to be affected by wickedness? Well, gullibility. Just basically believing and accepting anything that you hear. And he mentions gullible women. Now, I don't think Paul's a sexist or anything like that. But I think in Paul's day, probably it was more common that women were at home, uh, you know, tending the household rather than being out working. My, th- my guess, I don't know. But one thing that kind of struck me when I was looking at that was why would Paul mention gullible women and not men? And I think what it's speaking to is the absence of godly men in the home. And that the, that the last days are just going to be marked with that. Um, you know, husbands and fathers are called to, by God to be the shepherds of their homes, to keep that evil influence at bay from their homes. But in the last days, with this breakdown of, of the families, the homes are going to be vulnerable to the invasion of wickedness. And entire households are going to end up being led captive and loaded down with sin. And in the last days is also going to be marked by an increase in knowledge. As people will be ever learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. You know, when I look at that, I go, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I've been doing, like, work on my car. Uh, yesterday, Teresa and I started doing some, we're replacing our flooring in our kitchen. And uh, I'm like, you know what, I'm not really sure how to do this. So what do I do? I go to Google, right, I'm, and, and get on YouTube. And you get all, you, I mean, it's amazing. I was thinking about the other day, you know, what did I do before Google? What did I, I mean, before YouTube? I, you'd have to have, how would you have all that knowledge? You, you wouldn't. You'd, you'd hope you'd find somebody that could tell you how to do something or go to the library trying to find a book. 
but it'd be difficult. But now, man, all I got to do is I, I use Google a lot, man. I Google everything, you know, how to brush my teeth properly. No, I'm not done with it. But, you know, go, from working on cars to doing home things, anything that I haven't done before, I want to get, well, I want to see how somebody's done it. Get on Google. They send you to YouTube. You can watch somebody do it. And uh, there's so much knowledge out there. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit was speaking about our day. There's an increase of knowledge. People are ever learning. I think we're probably becoming more and more intelligent in the sense of, you know, everything that's available for us to learn. But the problem is ever learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Never coming to a knowledge of God's truth. Paul uses a certain word for knowledge here, and it's a common Greek word. The word is gnosis, but he says here it's going to be epinosis. And that means not just a mere knowledge, a mere gnosis, but it's a knowledge that influences action. Knowledge of the truth. So, you know, there's people, you could talk to people in our culture today and talk about Jesus and go, oh, yeah, I know all about that, you know. But it's not a knowledge that influences their lives. It doesn't influence their actions. It's a knowledge that's applied. Verse 8. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. It's interesting to me, you know, in the book of Exodus, it talks about these magicians, you know, when, when God told Moses and, and Elijah, or Moses and Aaron to go before Pharaoh, he gave them the ability to, to do miracles, to influence Pharaoh that, yeah, this is God speaking, you know, release my people. And, and so Moses and Aaron would do these things while well, there was these two magicians, and we're not given their names, but they, they would do some of the same miracles that Moses was able to do. And we find out here their names are Janus and Jambres. And it's interesting, they weren't like faking the miracles. They were actually doing many of the miracles that Moses was able to do. But their power was a demonic power, as influenced by the devil. And uh, it's interesting, they weren't able to duplicate all of the miracles, only a few of them. And, you know, it just goes to show that, you know, God's or demonic power is only so, it's just, it's limited. It's not unlimited like God's power is. So the last days, I believe, are going to be marked by a demonic effort to resist God's truth. There's going to be a, there's going to be a, a spiritual component, and I think we're seeing that today with, with the opposition to Christianity today. There's a demonic uh, component to it. But the good news is, because Paul says here, uh, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to, those, to all as theirs also was. The good news is, for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, we have the ability to discern this wickedness. We have the ability to, to, to discern these, the wickedness of these people and their schemes. Verse 10, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. 
So now Paul, he's been describing this, these, these conditions of these days and the people of these days. And, but now he's turning to Timothy. But you, Timothy, have carefully followed. And that, that the idea that he's saying is not like carefully watching the stock market. You know, if you, if you invest in stock, I don't know if you do or not. You, you know, for a while there I was investing in IBM stock. I used to work for IBM. And so, you know, every day I'm looking at the stock market. What's, is it up or is it down? It's up a, up a buck, it's down a couple bucks, you know. And you're, you're carefully watching it. But that's not what Timothy did. He didn't just carefully watch Paul, but he also conformed his life to what he saw in Paul. And so what did he see in Paul? Well, first of all, he heard Paul's teachings, his doctrine. But the you know, thing is, Paul not only taught Timothy about the Christian life, but Timothy was able to witness it. Just think about that. Going on a, a missionary trip with Paul and watching him you know, as he's in front of people, as he's not in front of people, as he's encountering afflictions and difficulties, and as when things are well, when things are not well. He's watching and like a sponge just taking in how, how Paul lived his life. And so Timothy was starting to conform himself to Paul's life, to the way Paul lived his life. Paul lived with one purpose in life, and Timothy knew what Paul's purpose in life was because everything that Paul did was in keeping with that purpose. And we're told what that purpose is in his letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 2, 2, Paul says, For I determined to not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's all that Paul was about. It was about the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. That was Paul's purpose in life, to let people know about that, to live his life, to, to just to draw people to that truth. And so Timothy also witnessed Paul's trust in the Lord, his love for God, and his love for those he ministered to. And you think, Timothy, you know, Paul... When he writes about the Hebrews, his fellow Jewish people, he's like, would that, that they went to heaven and I didn't. I mean, he, that's how much he loved them. He'd, loved, he'd rather change places with them. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't want to change places with you. I, I, I want to go to heaven, you know. But that's the depth of Paul's love that he had for people and for those he ministered to. Timothy also witnessed Paul's perseverance through all the difficulties and trials and afflictions that happened to Paul. And if you read about it, Paul went through a lot of stuff. But Timothy also witnessed how the Lord over and over again delivered Paul through it all. Sometimes you and I face some really difficult things, things that we've never faced before, things that are just like, they're just, there's this mountain in front of us. It's an opposition or it's, a, it's, a, it's something frightening that we're going through. I want to encourage you if you're facing this thing and it's just it's 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 captivating your thoughts. All you can think about is this mountain in front of you and you know what what am I going to do? And it's like think back to how the Lord's delivered you in the past, how He's been faithful to you over and over and over again, even in the smallest things, because He's faithful and He'll be faithful in that whatever that big thing is that you're facing. If you'll just trust Him, He's been faithful before. He's never let me down. I've never been let down by the Lord. He's always proved Himself faithful. And Timothy witnessed that. Paul was always delivered by the Lord. But Paul also wanted Timothy to understand that there's a cost to following Christ. You know, for so many years, it was pretty easy 
in, in the United States anyways to become a Christian, right, and go to church. It's really easy. But it's going to be getting more and more difficult. There's cost to following Christ. In verse 12, he says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so in these last days, or in the last days, persecution is going to increase. For you and I as believers, it's going to become increasingly more difficult to stand for righteousness. It, or it already is. We're already starting to see that. It's becoming, you know, pretty soon, we'll, be, well, we're already being called haters, you know, and homophobes and whatever it is that, you know, uh, narrow-minded and stuff. And it, it's going to just get worse and worse. Verse 13, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So this word imposters, the idea is dece- deceivers, but it liter- the liter- literal translation means conjurers. They're going to deceive through conjury. Well, what is that talking about? I, I think it's talking about sorcery, basically. Um, now, in Ephesus, where Timothy's, you know, this letter is to Timothy in Ephesus, the magical arts, the occultic type things, uh, whoops, I just shut my iPad off. <laughs> the, occult, the occult stuff, uh, it was just rampant in Ephesus. When Paul got there, there was all these magic arts that were being practiced there. And many of those people... When they became born-again believers, you can read about it in Acts 19, man, they got rid of all that occultic, their books and all that stuff. Well, it's interesting, in Revelation 18.23, it's going to describe how the nations are going to be seduced through sorcery in the last days. One thing, I, I don't know how many of you know my testimony, but you know, I grew up in a Christian home, gave my life to the Lord at about sixth grade, and, and then I got into junior high and started rebelling, and uh, it continued pretty much all through high school, and I got involved in drugs and different things, and I, uh, I met this guy at this, uh, he was actually a barber, and he was, he, was just, he was a young Christian, and he had just gotten out of, stopped doing drugs and stuff, and so he's, he's Ted's, uh, witnessing to me, and I was still kind of caught up in that stuff. And uh, I'm like, he's, I'm like, oh, you're a Christian. He goes, yeah. I go, oh, I'm a Christian too. And so we started talking. And anyways, he's like, man, I just found this out in the Bible. He goes, did you know that the word for sorcery is pharmakeia? It's where we get the words drugs and stuff. I'm like, no, I didn't know that, man. <laughs> you know. And uh, But anyways, after hearing that, the Holy Spirit just started using that in my heart. And eventually I just gave my heart back to the Lord. Um, but... I do believe that recreational drug use, not, not medicine, but recreational drug use, is tied. There's a spiritual aspect to it, too, and it's tied to sorcery. And so it's fascinating to me that the last days are going to be marked with more sorcery. There's going to be, there's going to be an increase of sorcery. Um, and so in the last days, evil people and evil and wickedness is going to continue growing worse and worse. And spiritual deception is going to grow worse and worse. And it's going to be a very, it's going to be a perilous time for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ to live. It's going to be hard to bear. It's going to be difficult. But when you and I are seeing this, man, that's the time we're to start looking up, right? Because our redemption is drawing near. Jesus said in Luke twelve fifty four, he said, Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather. And there is. Hypocrites. 
You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? For you and I as believers, you know, we can look at what's going on. And, and to be honest with you, things are becoming more and more grievous to my heart anyways. It's hard to see the things that are happening in our culture. But the thing is, it's like, I know Jesus is returning soon. Verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He says we're to, you're to continue or to remain or to abide or to dwell in the things you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them from. Who did Timothy learn them from? His grandmother, Lois, became a believer in Jesus Christ. His mother, Eunice, became a believer in in Jesus Christ. And and they taught young Timothy. I don't know how old he was when they became Christians, but Timothy was raised up with a godly mother and a godly grandmother. And then, of course, then he went and he started walking with Paul. And so he was learning from Paul. So he, he had these examples to follow. He says, And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now when you think of that, what do you what do you think of when he's talking about the Holy Scriptures? At the time that Paul penned this letter, the New Testament canon hadn't been put together yet. There were letters of Paul circulating around, but Paul is talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. It's interesting, Philip led the Ethiopian eunuch to faith in Christ simply by explaining Isaiah 53 to the eunuch. And, you know, in Acts 17, verse 2, talks about Paul, says, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, you know, whatever town he went into, he went in and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Paul was teaching from the Old Testament Scriptures. Why am I saying this? Well, because it it leads me down to verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, from Genesis all the way through uh, to Revelation, it's all inspired. It's God-breathed, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Peter wrote in Second Peter 1, he says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but the holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Scriptures. Excuse me, by the Holy Spirit. All Scripture... New Testament and Old Testament is profitable, first of all, for doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. It reveals God's unchanging truth to us. That's what God's Word does. And then it also, it's profitable for reproof, and that means that it convicts us. Because as we read God's Word, as we read His standards, I know when I read it, I go, man, I, 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 I see what you're saying, God, but I, I also see my life. And there's that conviction that comes on me. I'm not living up to your standard, Lord God. 
I'm not loving as I'm supposed to be loving. I'm not denying myself as I'm supposed to be denying myself. And so it convicts us, but it doesn't just leave us convicted. That's what I love about God's Word. It doesn't just tell us how lousy we are. Well, we are lousy. I'm sorry, I'm not here to build you up today. You know, you are lousy. (laughs) No, just kidding. But it doesn't just leave us there convicted. It then provides correction. Well, how do you get right with God? God's Word tells us. It reveals the truth. It convicts us. But then it finally provides us correction. Well, what do you do with that? That's how much God loves us, that He gave us those those the, all that's for you and I to live our lives. And then finally, it's for discipline, and not for discipline like punishing us, but discipline in the sense of a soldier who goes to boot camp, and they, they start, they learn discipline. You know, they, they, they do the push-ups, they do the exercises, they learn all these different skills and stuff because so that they can become a good soldier, a disciplined soldier. And that's what God's Word is too. It trains you and I, and it equips us so that we can be a good soldier of the cross good soldier of Jesus Christ, equipped for every good work. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Doesn't Doesn't that blow your mind? Before you were even born, in fact, before creation, God had a plan and a purpose for each one of us. He had good works for each one of us, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Are you walking in those, those good works that God has planned for your life? Or are you doing your own thing? You know, are you in love with yourself? Are you in love with money? Are you in love with pleasure? Or are you a lover of God? That's the question for us today. And so as we see these last days coming close. Now, you know, one thing that, um, I, again, I said I grew up in a Christian home. You know, I, 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 that's a blessing. For those of you that grew up in a Christian home, what a blessing. Think back to that godly heritage that you have. Um, all those times, you know, my dad used to read the Bible faithfully every day, every every evening after supper. He'd pull out the Bible and read, read a chapter. And, and it was kind of a, it seemed like it was more of just kind of a habitual thing. But he did it. But, you know, God's word doesn't return void. And it didn't return void. It, it's It's there. And so, you know, eventually I ended up becoming a Sunday school teacher at different churches we attended through the years as we got married. And, and, uh, and I was able to pull from that resource that, that had been planted in me as a, at an early age. I want to encourage you as parents, man, don't, don't neglect imparting that into your children. Don't neglect that because it's so valuable. Um, you know, children's ministry, what a, what a blessing that is. You know, I can't remember. In fact, I forget a lot of stuff. But you know what? I can still remember teachers that I had in school. And I can remember Sunday school teachers and things like that. Why? Because they have such an impact on my life. And, and, and so don't ever neglect the uh, God's Word and, and just giving that rich heritage to your children. And, and you know, I think that's going to be one of the things that we're going to see and we are seeing in these last days, because I do believe we're in the last days, is a departure from that Christian heritage. I mean, look at our culture. They're trying to erase every aspect of this culture, uh, you know, the Judeo-Christian culture. They're trying to wipe it all out and, and sanitize it so there is no mention of God and there's no mention of our historical, you know, Christianity in, in this nation. And there's going to be departure from Christian heritage and there's also going to be a departure from God's Word. 
And that's where the that's where the deception comes in is when you start departing from it. And so the encouragement for you and I today, because again, you can be the judge whether we're living in the last days, you know, whether Jesus is coming home, coming back soon or not. Um, but whether he is or not, and I believe he is, um, we should be living you know, in light of eternity because he will be coming back soon. And uh, so I just want to encourage you with that this morning. Why don't you stand up and let's go, Lord, in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the, uh, the signs that the Holy Spirit has given us, that we can look around, Lord, we can read the news, we can hear what's happening in our world around us, and, Lord, we can, we can understand that uh, these times, though they are grievous, though they are hard to bear, uh, though they're difficult, Lord, we know that it's just a sign that you are returning soon. And so, Father, I pray that as we see these signs, Lord, that we would discern, uh, discern that you are returning soon and that, Lord, that that would impact our lives, how we live our lives. Lord, the focus that we put in our hearts. Lord, those things that we love. Lord, are we, do we love you more than we love these things? And so, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to examine our hearts and our lives this morning. I thank you for each person here this morning, Lord. I pray your blessing upon them this day. And, Lord, for all those that are on vacation or traveling uh, that are not here this morning, Lord, we ask your blessing upon them and that you'd watch over them as well. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.